What up, Ecclesial Nuts, to another episode of Religionless Church. In this episode, I talked to Wes Greenberg Michelson, who served on the Reformed Church of America, which is a denomination um, that actually happens to be the denomination that of the school that I went to, the college that I went to in Iowa. And he served as the general secretary for that denomination for 17 years, and he's written a number of books, including his most recent book, Future Faith, 10 Challenges for Reshaping Christianity in the 21st Century, and that was just released uh, a few months ago, and we talk about that book uh, in this episode, Future Faith. It's a wonderful book. I highly recommend you all checking it out, and uh, Wes has a lot of background in the ecumenical movements and a lot of the ecumenical initiatives that have taken forth in the last few decades, and I think a lot of his work with Future Faith really is influenced by his work in the ecumenical movement. So you really get that flavor in this book. So he'll talk a lot about that in this episode, and I think it was a wonderful conversation, and he's just full of wisdom nuggets, and he's just really well-spoken, and he was really gracious about doing this episode. Also featured on this episode is a really wonderful Minneapolis band called Weathered. Uh, I've seen them a few times playing around. I go to a lot of little Minneapolis house shows, and they're always more than willing to play uh, a Minneapolis house show. And they just happen to have been signed to Face Down Records, one of my favorite record labels that has a lot of my favorite bands. If you remember back a few episodes ago, you remember Laura from Comrades, and Comrades is also on Face Down Records. So they're kind of like record label buddies uh, of bands, and they tour a lot together, and they're just really wonderful. So Weathered uh, is featured throughout this podcast, and they just have a really great sound. They've got new tunes coming out soon. So actually, I think one of the songs that you will hear throughout the episode is a brand new song that was released like a month ago. So be sure to check out Weathered. They're a really wonderful band. You'll hear John later on in the podcast, who is a guitarist for Weathered, and he's just really down-to-earth, typical Minneapolis kind of guy, just real... Real chill, real easy to get along with, and uh, just really great guys in that band. So be sure to check out Weathered's material and their new album that's coming out. And if they are playing in a show near you soon, go check them out. And as always, you can check out my work at Religionless Church. You can go to masonmenega.com. You can also get connected to my Patreon page where you can access many different papers and articles, and you can access early previews of episodes, you can access exclusive content that I post, both in video form and audio form. Just a lot of things that I'm doing, and uh, I post it all on Patreon. So be sure to check that out. And that should be enough of me rambling. And I think you all are ready for Wes Cranberg Michelson. So without further ado, here he is. So today we have Wes Greenberg Michelson. Wes is a f- former uh, general secretary, or uh, yeah, general uh, secretary at the RCA, uh, the Reformed Church of America, and is a uh, wonderful author and, and speaker around the country, thinking of thinking about and, and imagining uh, Christianity in the future and, and the way that denominations play into that, and uh, specifically uh, with your involvement with the RCA, how. The RCA is involved with kind of this shift that's occurring within Christianity. So, Wes, you play a number of different roles in the world, uh, and but I'm I'm more curious, who is Wes Granberg Michelson to Wes Granberg Michelson? Hmm. Well, Mason, um, I like to think of myself as an elder. Um, an elder is a person who has accumulated some wisdom and experience. Um, who's at a point in life where uh, he or she is no longer responsible for running things, uh, but rather for offering uh, words and advice and uh, wisdom for those who want to hear. Hmm. Um, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of things in life. Uh, You've mentioned being general secretary of the RCA. I was with the staff of the World Council of Churches. Hmm. I uh, started, uh, helped start Sojourners Magazine, uh, and have written other 
other books earlier, but at this point, um, you know, I'm not running anything. I'm not in charge of an organization. I'm not, uh, I don't have a staff of a hundred people. I just have me. Mm. And what I have is uh, hopefully some accumulated wisdom and uh, maybe um, those who hear it will uh, take heed. Maybe they won't, but uh, that's not my responsibility. Do you sense a uh, a sort of liberation for that? Like, do do you feel like your thought processing or or maybe some of the ideas that you are wanting to get out in the world now um, are you're able to do that more liberally than maybe you were before? I think I'm freer, and I think that's one of the qualities. Uh, if we you think of what you know, elder means not so much as well being an elder in a Reformed church. Mm-hmm. That's one thing, but rather being an elder in in a in a tribe, uh, in a group, uh, a, a a person who, uh, yeah, is is very free to share. Um, you know, the only one paying me my salary is a so is a social security check check and a retirement check. So I I don't have and all those royalties that are coming in from all those right, books. Right, that... <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I don't I don't have anyone uh, that I'm um, uh, you know that I have to answer to except God and myself, and uh, that that does give me more freedom. It's a stage in life where one has that opportunity. So you just recently uh, wrote the book Future Faith uh, and uh, released uh, with Fortress Press uh, here in Minneapolis. I love Fortress Press. And uh, I really like the the approach that you took with Future Faith. Um, and, and by the time that uh, people will uh, be listening to this episode, uh, it, it will have been out for uh, a month or two. But... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I really appreciated uh, a lot of what you were writing about. Uh, so let's get into some of the questions that uh, came up to came into mind while I was reading. So let's go with the first one. Uh, how how to or how do churches embody the practices that embrace the numerical decline of the church uh, in church participation in America, uh, and also embody the practices that are going on? Uh, that are increasing the rise of Christian faith expressed in the global South. So how do you see churches in America embodying practices that pay respect to uh, both of those realities that are happening? The one, the real, the Christian faith expression happening in America, where there's a numerical decline, but also the Christian faith expression that's uh, rising increasingly in the global South. Well, I think that, uh, one has to always remember that you move through tradition into mission. Hmm. Um, you you have to you you have to mine the best of your identity in order to discover uh, the future that uh, God is calling you to. Uh, so you don't demolish tradition. You learn how to take the best from it and allow that to. Um, bring you to a, a, another place, while at the same time, you have the discernment to know what parts uh, need to be left behind. Um, and so I think that's the challenge that uh, congregations today find themselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are congregations, you know, that are locked into um, doing things the way they already ha- always have. Um, I once remember a Reformed Church pastor who kind of came as a kind of a bull in a china shop into a long-established RCA congregation. He was, you know, really determined to change things. He didn't have a lot of discernment about how to go about it and was trying to push his way forward. And finally, one of the long-term elders in a tense elders meeting said to him, Pastor, you need to understand we'd be doing the we'd be doing things this way even if God didn't exist. <laughs> so there's there's a you know there there are there are congregations that are just 
so locked in to past practice that they really can't see the future. And then there are other congregations that just shred everything and, um, you know, throw everything overboard and think somehow they're going to create the church uh, out of nothing. Um, hmm. I think that I think the congregations in North America, they've got they, they have the advantage or the or the uh, strength of of uh, knowing that their gospel, their understanding of faith is really centered in an encounter with the person of Jesus and that this is to in some way shape their life and their community. They've got the problem of living largely in a bubble that has conformed that understanding to a particular cultural framework, especially a white cultural framework, and mm-hmm. to a particular national uh, experience, a, a, a nationalistic expression of, of uh, Christianity that terribly muddles things up and confuses right. and captivates and uh, gets us in all kinds of trouble. So from the church in the global south, um, where it's growing rapidly, one thing that uh, can be apprehended and practiced is uh, simply the way in which the gospel has to be de- de-Americanized. It, right. has to be, it has to be shredded of this sort of captivity to a narrow understanding of, of, of American culture. And um, so I think that's a, you know, that, that's an indication, Mason, of uh, the ways in which congregations today have to navigate the kind of change that you're uh, suggesting. It's also becoming increasingly clear that uh, not only just in in the global south, but in America too, that the average church participant is is no longer white. Uh, it's that that trend is in, increasing and 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 continuing to to happen. Um, but the, there's kind of an interesting dynamic that's playing out because while the average church participant is no longer white. The average uh, theologian, professional theologian, or the average uh, pastor, maybe, or the average uh, the average person that's writing within either academia or um, other Christian publishing, uh, they're they're you. I mean, they're still for the most part white men. So there's kind of this dynamic going on between white men still sort of leading the charge um, per se. Uh, but the average uh, church participant not being white. So how do you see that dynamic continuing to play out as we go forward? And I think that's one of the crucial challenges that, uh, that the church is facing. Um, and I'd probably say, you know, you have, to, you have to be clear about what you mean by average. Um, participation of uh, of, of white Protestantism numerically, it's declined by about 33% um, within the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. And that, that's going to continue. Um, and the, uh, the places of growth uh, within the North American church are largely found among people of color. Uh, there's some exceptions to that, but that's, that's generally the trend. And then you, that just gets magnified uh, globally, of course. Um, leadership is absolutely entrenched in, um, in, in, the, in the person, the lives of white males. Now, I think this is more than just um, uh, a matter of gender and race, because I think the real problem, Mason, is that the leadership of the church is encased in a, in a theological and cultural view shaped by white Western culture right. that is, is uh, formed by the Enlightenment and that has this whole set of assumptions about life and the world that we kind of take for granted. And that, and that gets epitomized within many, not all, I hope not all, <laughs> but many white male leaders. Um, but as I say, it's more than just it's it's more than just race and gender because it's a it's it's a whole world view 
that um, right. that that tends to you know make these classic separations between the material and the spiritual and that the, these understandings of the role of the individual and these uh, and, and the kind of um, understandings in some cases of real patriarchy and of uh, of white supremacy, whether mm-hmm. conscious or unconscious, and uh, and 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 those things come out of a culture in which the church in North America has been shaped and formed. And what's happening now is that that bubble is bursting, and that the church around the world um, is now a non-Western church. So what you know, what do you do? I think. I think one of the most important things is to learn how to listen to and elevate those voices from the global church that are not white, that are often are not necessarily male, mm-hmm. uh, but that reflect a diversity, and not just a diversity in terms of in terms of uh, gender and uh, race, but a but a, a diversity in terms of of, of worldview reflecting the cultures in which Christianity is now growing. Uh, I mean, for instance, uh, two weeks ago, I was in Bogota, Colombia, at the Global Christian Forum Third World Gathering, where we bring together um, groups from Pentecostal, Evangelical, Roman Catholic, uh, Ecumenical, Mainline Protestant, Orthodox. It's the only, it's the only time that leaders from all these uh, uh, the, the major streams of world Christianity mm-hmm. are brought together, and and uh, and it was such a refreshing opportunity to hear all of these voices that aren't white Western North American men. Right. I mean, Ruth Ruth Padilla uh, divorced uh, from Costa Rica, uh, giving a exegesis of the Book of Philemon that was astonishing, mm. ending with. Um, a call to how that single epistle should place us in a whole radical opposition to 25 million people held today in various forms of slavery. Right. Uh, that, you see, now that's, those are the kinds of voices that we need to elevate in order to get out of the captivity we find ourselves in. What are some of those practices that churches can do to uh, to connect those two realities or those two uh, th- th- those two uh, expressions uh, of the the non-Western church and the spiritual nuns? What are the ways that churches can connect those two uh, realities because they hold these common lenses? Yeah, I'll give you some examples. Uh, the first is we have to understand that people um, are hungry. They're thirsting for religious experience that is, I mean, that's grounded in the whole person and grounded in, in uh, taking into account uh, senses and feeling. Uh, they don't want religion packaged in a tight, rational system and delivered to them as dogma. Right. Uh, that's why you've got, on the one hand, uh, in my view, the rapid growth of Pentecostalism, mm. which is one of the things that's most misunderstood by the established, you know, Western white non-Pentecostal church. But you also have these expressions of spirituality that um, that that powerfully uh, rely on um, transcendent ways of presenting spiritual experience. A month and a half ago, I was at the Tizay community, and mm. and this is amazing. The Tizay community in France, many people in churches have sung their chants and their songs. Mm-hmm. You go there, you're in this community, about 40, 45 uh, monks who have made this life commitment. They gather three times a day for these prayers and songs. There's, there's simple chants, half of them are in Latin. They're, they're just, uh, you know, they're just sung. With periods of silence and then prayer and the service kind of it just drifts from where it starts to where it ends. The week I was there, two thousand young people from Portugal came. This was in wow. February. You know, this this happens every week there. The wow. young people from Europe who 
are alienated from their churches. They're showing up at the You go there in the summer, you get 8,000 kids. They're camping out. And they, and they simply come to be part of this experience. And I think that, you know, we should take keys from that uh, for, for mm. how we think about our worship experience in a variety of ways. We've got to get it out of the heady, rational, packaged uh, variety. The second thing um, is that I think we've got to realize that there's a thirst for community and a thirst for relational connection. Uh, you, you you find uh, as you look at the non-Western church that uh, community is, uh, is is so much at the center. Mm-hmm. I uh, I mentioned in the book when Karen, my wife, and I started uh, in the early days, we were with the Sojourners community. We were struggling to you know how do you be an alternative Christian community? And we got a book by Jean Vanier, who's now very well known. He wrote this little book called uh, Community and Growth. And he has one sentence in there that says, in any expression of the church or community, you have to have more people saying me for the community than people who say the community for me. Mm. And our church experience, the, the, the dominant church experience in North America, is an experience that says the community for me. Right. What can I get out of? How can it appeal to me? How can my... And that, you know, that's just... That's a whole psychology, a whole methodology that's got to be reversed. And you see that in the non-Western church. And you mm-hmm. see in people who are looking for religious, for authentic religious experience today, they want community. They mm-hmm. want relational connection. Third thing I'd say is uh, belonging comes before believing. Uh, in, the, in the typical way we think about these things, Mason, um, you know, uh, a person has goes to a Billy Graham rally and has a converted conversion experience, and they become a new person in Christ. And then they go to a community and they a church, and they join it and they become a member of the church. So you right. believe before you belong. Well, this thing's reversed now. You've got people wanting to be part of a community while they then figure out what their faith is, um, and that's much more true in. In, in parts, you know, in parts of the world that, um, you know, that, that that don't rely so much on these on on, on what you call a, a strict bounded set. And I, I, right. I tell you what I I tell you what I mean. There's this great example, um, a story I learned. There are two ways of herding cattle in Australia. Australia has these vast plains. They got a lot of cattle. So you could herd them in two ways. You could try to build a fence all the way around the area that you want to keep the cattle. Or you can dig a well. You dig hmm. a well. You dig a well and you will herd the cattle. Yeah. And the I cattle like will come nearer or further away according to what they need. Now this is an illustration of what is actually it's actually mathematical theory between a centered set and a bounded set, and a centered set is a set where there's there's a a source at the center that draws, but how groups and in this case individuals, whether you know people who're thinking now of churches uh, or church communities, how close they come or how far they are apart is up to them, mm-hmm. and there there's this business about uh, a clear division about who joins and who doesn't, who's a member, who's not, who's inside the boundary, who's outside the boundary. That's an understanding that uh, that uh, isn't that present in other parts of the world, and that right. a whole generation kind of rebels against. Uh, I, I think churches need to think, what does it mean in the American culture to think of themselves more as centered sets and less as bounded sets? touched on this a lot, uh, both in the interview and in, and in the book, uh, where, where you talk about de-Americanizing Christianity. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to de-Americanize Christianity without a complete overhaul of American ecclesiologies? Uh, yes, because uh, I, I think, I mean, you've asked, you've asked a really 
really a penetrating question there, Mason. But uh, American understandings of the church, um, I mean, many of them are driven by political understandings of how, you know, like why in the world are churches uh, run by polities that use Robert's Rules of Order and have votes and all this stuff. I mean, this is nonsense. But this is just the imparting of, uh, you know, American political culture uh, and Western political culture in the life of the church. So you've got a lot of that going on. You've got a lot of individuality, you know, because of the way in which our culture puts individualism at the center. So, I mean, that comes into our ecclesiology. But you've got other strains of ecclesiology that if you go back and mine these traditions, like I said in response to your first question, if 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 you really go back and say what, uh, I mean I was I, I was talking with a a pastor of a new church start out in Portland Oregon a, a while ago and he's okay. he's got this new church going and they're asking these questions about how do we organize ourselves you know how do we actually be a church and how do we how do we think about you know who runs who governs us how do we set this up. And you end up asking these basic questions about what does it mean to be one body in Christ? And what does it mean to belong to one another? What does it mean that there are individual gifts that are given for different parts of the health of this body? Now, th- those are the questions that are foundational to ecclesiology. That, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of where ecclesiology comes from, as well as, as well as from an understanding of the spirit of you know, how how is the church really shaped and formed by the Spirit? So, yeah, our ecclesiology in, you know, how we think about the church in the United States is very Americanized. It's, it's got a lot of problems, but there's, you know, you go beneath, you go beneath some of that stuff and you find basic questions of what does it mean to live as a body of Christ together? And, and, yeah, you'll you'll be able to mine the best things from a tradition that goes back two thousand years. So my answer to your question is yes. If I thought I could escape, forget the taste and run the race, but I won't Today we have John from Weathered, the band Weathered, which you have been listening to throughout the whole episode. And uh, John's here to talk about some of the new developments in the life of Weathered. Uh, John, let's hear about this exciting news that you just released a few weeks ago. Um, actually, is it close to probably maybe to a month now? But um, yeah, let let tell everybody what's going on with the with Weathered. Yeah, so recently Weathered signed based on record. Nice. But- yeah, that's I our wish, big I don't know if I have many effects, but we could do like the total like effects yeah. of like applause and everything after that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the big news, and we're really excited about that. With that, we released a new song and music video, and then this past Friday, we also released another single. So, the record comes out on August 17th. We're awesome. Really to share that with everybody. So, uh, in terms of the new record, what what's like a new... Um, like a new change to weather that you're maybe trying to uh, kind of foresee in this new, in this new album? Um, I would say definitely as opposed to our older stuff, there's probably more like, I I would say major sounding songs, like as opposed to minor, like a lot of our older stuff can get like weird or kind of eerie, which we like to do. And we Mm -hmm. have, we did on this record as well. But there's probably more major sounding stuff. We wanted to complement like the dark stuff with um, kind of more pretty things or right. anthemic songs too. Mm-hmm. What are um, what are some bands or some music that maybe collectively as a band that you all had been listening to that you think uh, influenced this new album? Um, I would say for sure, like Manchester Orchestra. Yeah. Um, like uh death cap beauty oh yeah well, speaking of uh, new albums yeah yep yeah they're gonna uh, be coming out right around that time too right with the new album right yeah they're, they've released a couple of new songs i'm not sure when their album drops but i, I want to say that's like sometime in august as well right around that mid-august range yeah that might maybe we share a release date you was certainly good 
Yeah. How about that? Yeah, so we, I mean, we like that stuff. Um, Brand New has always been a big influence on us, mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Thrice is always in there. Recently, Acidies Burn has been a big influence, too. Right. So. Speaking of which, I'm actually yeah. wearing some of Love Your Darkest. How about that? Um, so those are some, like, new changes that are going on. What was something in the process of writing this new record that were really challenging, maybe to you personally or as a band? Um, one of the challenges was writing, like just writing the record. We, we put out an EP, um, I think last spring or two springs ago or something like that. It's called Misnomer and that's like a four song EP. Okay. And we had set out to write a full length at that point in time, but then we realized as we started to write, we had these four songs that we put on Misnomer and then we had this other collection of songs that started to sound like more major sounding and like kind of was just taking on a whole different vibe so mm-hmm. we had to make the hard decision to be like all right do we toss these songs or but we felt really strongly about them still and we felt like they were worth sharing with people so we decided just to split them up on an ep and put the the um full length on hold for a little bit okay so that was like struggle within the band like what should we do with with the material that we have i guess okay interesting so with the new album is there an tour that's going to be involved with this as well that you're going to embark on yes yeah we'll be announcing a tour pretty soon here next couple of days okay. um we're we'll it's a it'll be like our album release tour it's we kick off august 10th it'll be from the 10th to the 27th okay uh mainly midwest dates uh are ending in minneapolis on the 27th with our release show which is with household author and pierre in minneapolis yeah so we're excited about that we're taking our friend vagabonds with us on tour okay fantastic um artist from michigan check him out if you haven't heard of stuff um yeah awesome and i i was talking to your front man uh at audio feed and he was saying that that uh, Minneapolis show on the 27th of August is actually going to be at uh, 7th Street Entry. Yep, that is correct, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you're going to be sharing a venue or being playing in a venue that uh, some like really great heavy bands have played in throughout the years. Yeah, a lot of history so, there, yeah. Totally. We're excited. We love good vibe there. The sound's good there. So we're really excited to have, our, have the release show there. Awesome. So, uh, second to last question, when you guys go out on tour, I know that you haven't like been a band for like 10 or 15 years or anything. Um, so it's not like you've toured to every city imaginable, but when you go out on tour, what is like the go-to food place that you all have to stop at? Um, like when we get towards like Virginia's or like the Virginia's or like Tennessee or Nashville, that area cookout is the big one. <laughs> you did you? I swear, that is literally the exact same answer that Laura from Comrades gave. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like the food's really good for like a fast food joint, right? And like they have this trade deal; it's like five dollars, and you could like pick two entrees and three sides or something crazy. So you yeah. get a lot of food, and so that's a big that's the big stop. Um, when you're on the West Coast, uh, uh, what's the burger joint? Now I'm blanking. In and out. In and out. Yeah. Okay. That's that's always pretty good. I mean, I think it gets a lot of hype. It's pretty good. I I like the burgers, but you gotta stop there. It's just like thing you gotta do. All right. So but that's the, that's the second time cookout's been on here. So uh, it really must be circulating the the sort of yeah. heavy face down record bands. Uh, kind of their uh it must be part of the face down uh yeah, vibe absolutely. or something maybe face down has like a, a partnership with them or something yeah we should get sponsored <laughs> that so but uh i, I want to throw one quick shout out okay shout out quick trip because if you're in the midwest like wisconsin minnesota even iowa has a couple yep. quick trip is the best gas station good food always clean yeah, this is the best gas station, best place to like stop and grab snacks or anything. For sure. Our, I mean, you're a Midwest person. I don't know if there's a ton in, in Minneapolis, but have you ever been to a Casey's? 
convenience store? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Have you ever had their pizza there? Their pizza is really good. It's yes. so good. Pizza, yeah, it is very good. It's very surprising. You wouldn't expect yeah, it, but totally. it is fantastic. Yeah, I I went to college in Iowa and I grew up in South Dakota where Casey's were kind of a big deal and like nobody goes to Pizza Hut or Domino's or anything. Like you go to Casey's to get your pizza cuz it's so good. Yeah. Which yep. is completely surprising. Yep. All right, so last question, yeah. where can the listeners of this episode get in contact with Weathered and all the things that you all are doing? Um, we're pretty active on like all the social media, so like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can find us at weatheredmn. Uh, if you want to listen to our stuff, all of, all of our new songs and previous recordings are up on Spotify, Apple Music, all the streaming sites. We've got the music videos out on YouTube. Um, yeah, that's if you want to contact us, uh, check out our Facebook page. You can shoot us a message or there's an email in there. Say what's up. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. You also lay out three lenses in which non-Western churches use in your book. I think the reason why I find it interesting is because each of those lenses seems to be uh, related at least in my experience, to some of the lenses in which uh, the spiritual nuns use. Um, so what are the ways that, uh, actually, first, can you kind of tell uh, the listeners what each of those lenses, those three lenses are from the non-Western churches, uh, if you can uh, yeah, quickly if, yeah. access that? I, if I believe what you're talking about is that the way in which a non-Western view um, separates, uh, I mean, the way in which we separate in a typical Western view, spirit and matter, and the yeah. way in which in, the, in a non-Western view, those things are intermingled and seen right. as interdependent. The way in which a Western view assumes that the way you get to truth is through rational inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, truth is rational. And a non-Western view says, no, truth is much more than just what you think. And then in a in a, in a Western view, we think the individual is at the center of everything, and that kind of relationships come secondary. In a non-Western view, community is the starting right. point. And so those are, those are three kind of simple ways to see how there's a very different, uh, you know, a, a very different lens, mm-hmm. uh, a very different set of glasses uh, in, how you, in, in, in how a person comes at things. Now, it's true that... Um, you know, you talk about you talk about the so-called nuns, uh, those who have no religious affiliation, uh, often millennials. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they may they may find themselves in accord with those sorts of assumptions. Well, why is that? Well, it, it's simply because uh, a lot of uh, uh, in a lot of places, a lot of people are seeing the limitations of the of the dominant culture view in which uh, Western society has lived. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and, there, and, and a lot of those folks have a spiritual curiosity in which they, you know, they, see, uh, they see the relevance of the spiritual uh, world in one way or another. They, they resist having this put into dogmatic systems. They resist having this put into systems that divide people into you know, one against another with all forms of judgment and so forth, but they're open to kind of understanding spiritual reality in fresh ways. Right. I think that, I think that's a real key for the way in which the church thinks about its future and about how it it, it tries to articulate and, and practice its life. So you talked uh, earlier about bounded sets and centered sets. Yeah. How do you think American mainline denominations in particular will engage with centered set organizational model, uh, with, with that model? Uh, you, you could probably argue that both uh, 
American evangelicalism and American non-denominational uh, models and uh, American mainline Protestant models are, for the most part, pretty bounded set. Absolutely. How do you how do you envision a mainline denomination then, in particular, to engage with a centered set organizational model? Yeah, I think it's it's, it's a. I mean, I think it's a great question. It's a great challenge. There's. A, I tell the story about a. Um, a woman in a, in a, in a Lutheran church, it's, it happens to be an ELCA church. And, um, I heard her give her testimony or, or well, testimony was that during Reformation, leading up to Reformation Sunday, this Lutheran congregation was having people give uh, talks at the end of the service, five minutes called here I stand. And it was kind <laughs> of, you know, them, them sharing their faith journey. And so this, we, Karen and I, we were visiting this congregation on a particular Sunday and heard this, heard this woman. I was raised Lutheran. I asked questions when I was in catechism. I didn't get good answers. I felt my questions weren't respected, and they just wanted me to believe, and so I left the church. So I was away from the church for 20, 30 years. And then I had different situations in my life that, you know, had me hunger and I came back to this church, and what I liked about this church is that I was able to be here with my questions, and I was able to ask those questions while being a part of the community. Mm. And I thought that was a perfect example. Now, I mean, this Lutheran church, they have, you know, they have a deal about, like, joining as members or not being members. I don't even know if she's a member or not, but I went up, I had coffee with her afterwards, and I asked, I asked her more, and I said, ah, so what is it that really attracted you? Does, does the, um, you know, does the liturgy and communion, which is big in the Lutheran church, right? well, I appreciate that, but that's not, you know, uh, I mean, that's not at the core, it's the community, it's the relationships I have. He said, well, what happens when you recite the Apostles' Creed? I said, well, I, you know, I, I say that, but I know, I know there are all kinds of people who say those words and then who wonder about what they mean in their life. And, I, and, and, this, and this community accepts me in that way. Well, it was a perfect example of this mainline, it's a small, you know, congregation mm-hmm. that's actually learning how to live as a, bound, as a centered set rather than a bounded set. Right. Uh, and, and I think we've got, I think this is a big problem for, for, um, Mainline churches. I mean, take the Reformed Church of America. I mean, we, you know, we keep statistics. We count right. the number of, you know, I mean, we're really good at it. We have these clerks and they compile these numbers, you know, and who is a member, who has slipped from membership, who's been baptized, you know, it's really who's in and who's not. And we say we have 179,352 people who are in. Now that is a bounded set. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> and this just is not going to cut it. I mean, congregations, okay, they could they could keep membership as a as a thing in their life, but they've got to really make those those lines a lot more fluid, and they've got to they've they've, they've got to figure out how to how to fully embrace people, whether they've kind of you know made this little commitment to 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 to, to be a member or not. Uh, we I think we've got to really really think differently about how we define this term member. The, the people who are doing new church starts, you, I hear this from them all the time. You know, they say, the people that we're dealing, like, you know, when I was general secretary, I, I'd always say, okay, we got all these congregations that are in the pipeline, you know, and you're telling me we've got, you know, we've got 80, 90 congregations that are being formed. Well, let's get them organized so we mm. could count them, you know. I, I, wanted their, I wanted their numbers to be in the book, right. you know, but they'd say to me, Wes, these the people we're dealing with. They they want to participate. They want to they want to belong, but they don't want to be a, this membership deal. They don't even know what the Reformed Church in America is. You know, give us some slack here. <laughs> well, yeah, they were right. They were right. I was wrong. I mean, we we <laughs> need we need to figure out models of the church that are much more um, malleable. Uh, around what we mean by membership. We got to, you know, we, we got to go to this model where uh, you dig a well. If you've got living water, people are going to be drawn. And let them decide how close or how far.
I'm not sure how. Uh, I mean, you're reformed, so I don't. I don't know how uh, familiar you are with Bonhoeffer's work, and particularly his work on religionless Christianity. Yes. But in in Bonhoeffer's right. experience, um, he may or may not have envisioned the sort of shift you document in Future Faith. Yet, how do you see Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity engaging with your thesis and your work of Future Faith? A lot. Uh, and I quote Bonhoeffer. I love Bonhoeffer. Uh, um, in um, the church I'm a part of now, United Church of Santa Fe, um, one of the persons who usually sits next to me, we sing in the choir. Now, now that I'm in, now that I'm an elder, I get to sing in the choir. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I'm at a different stage, which I love. But anyway, uh, he sits next to me. We sing together. He's Larry Rasmussen. Okay. And Larry taught, uh, he was Reinhold Niebuhr Professor of Christian Ethics at Union Theological really? Center for years. Huh. And is one of the, is one of the real uh, leading scholars on Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. you know, along with, I mean, I, you know, Reggie, Reggie Smith, and uh, I mean, there are a few others, uh, but, but, but Larry, I mean, he really knows Bonhoeffer well. So we have spent a lot of time talking about Bonhoeffer. In fact, he had a class at United. Uh, that that we did together, where we looked at a lot of Bonhoeffer's writings, and, mm-hmm. and it's actually through that 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 some of Bonhoeffer ends up in future faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's not completely clear what all Bonhoeffer meant <laughs> when he talked about religionless Christianity. Yep, exactly. In the Bonhoeffer Society, you know, people talk about this all the time, but I but I clearly think he was on to something um, because the it, it was the forms of religion in the state church in Germany that he felt were failing so deeply mm-hmm. uh, and so and so what did he do after uh, after uh, you know the Barman confession um, he goes out and he starts a seminary in Finkenwald mm-hmm uh, what he called an underground seminary because yep. it was a seminary of the confessing church, and 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 what did it do? It tried to gather people around the word. It 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 tried to form them in 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 processes of internal uh, spiritual development, what we call faith formation. It 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 tried to express forms of solidarity with the most vulnerable in society. Very simple things, mm-hmm. but he was doing that because he thought. Religion had robbed uh, the people, Christians, of, of their most basic things. They, they had just the form of institutional expression allowing them to become co-opted by the Third Reich. And, and so he was looking for expressions of faith that weren't tied to those forms of um, institutionalized religion, but were much more grounded in these realities. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, the confessing church, as, as it tried to emerge during that time, it was, it, it was trying to capture some of this. And I, you know, I think that's deeply relevant to where we are today and to, uh, in, in, you know, to what I write about in, in, in future things. Last question, how can viewers get connected with you and to your work? Well, um, pretty easily, uh, they can, um, first of all, they, they can go to Amazon or to Fortress Press uh, to get the book and to find some links. Uh, they can uh, friend me on Facebook, where I try to maintain a pretty active presence. Um, they could uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm trying to be more on Twitter than I have been on the past. If they want to kind of, if they kind of want to know what I'm thinking about, um, they go to my Facebook page. Um, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's probably the best way. And then if they want to be in touch with me, uh, directly, either send me a direct message on, on, on Twitter or send me a message on Facebook and I'll be in touch. you all think about that? I think that Wes's influence in the 
ecumenical movement and him being influenced by the ecumenical movement really shapes future faith in, in a way that uh, I really wouldn't have thought of in my own kind of conceptualizing of the concept of future faith. Uh, I, I don't have a ton of experience in the ecumenical movement. I, I've had a little bit of uh, sort of trans-denominational experience, but not to the depth that Wes has. And so I think that experience has really influenced his thinking of what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century and what it will mean as the years go by. So I really appreciate his work. And again, how about, what do you think about weather? Just like kind of really great uh, mix of, of a lot of heavy elements with some really intricate, um, for lack of a better term, pretty elements. Uh, I, I think they're really a wonderful band. Uh, they're really hardworking, really kind of DIY sort of sort of guys. And so I know that they would really appreciate if you support their work. So be sure to check them out. Be sure to check out Wes. And again, you should always check out my work. There's always content being posted. There's always tweets being tweeted. There's always Insta posts being Insta posted. So be sure to check out my work. Uh, I try to be a little bit more funnier on there, on social media. Not so much on my post, I guess, but at least on social media. So if you like to crack at a joke that might be a little stupid, I'm your guy. So be sure to follow me as well and uh, check out my work on Religionless Church, especially on my Patreon page. I would love for you to financially support me. That'd be absolutely wonderful before uh, you know capitalism collapses. I'm kidding. I don't know. Maybe I'm not kidding. I've got to. I've got to at least coddle my libertarian listeners a little bit, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So that's enough of me rambling. Support my work. Support Wes's work uh, of future faith. Go check it out and check out Weathered's music. It's so great. All right. That's enough of me rambling. Finally. See you all later.